Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Slime, spacecraft and children's TV programs. No, we're not talking about what you got up to during the summer holidays, but the latest trends in EIS investments. Organisations providing free debt advice have told the FT they face a funding crisis as more people are getting into problem debt, but fewer debt collection companies are paying the voluntary levy they rely on to provide a free service. We assess the issues and also take a look at problems at payday lender Wonga. And finally, child trust funds come of age. Millions of children have a CTF account lurking around somewhere, but did you know they can make their own investment decisions when they turn 16? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Enterprise investment schemes, more commonly known as EIS, have surged in popularity with wealthy investors offering tax breaks on a variety of investments in increasingly wacky or adventurous areas. Joining me to discuss how slime, spacecraft and even children's TV could yet find a place in your portfolio is Kate Bearley, reporter with FT Money. Welcome, Kate. Hello. So before we talk in more detail about the trends, give us the lowdown about how EIS actually works. Yeah, so EIS was a scheme introduced by the government uh, in the 90s as a way to fund very small, innovative young companies. And in return for investors taking those risks on companies which could fail or take a long time to come to fruition, investors receive very generous tax relief. And so that relief includes 30% income tax relief on your investment as long as you hold the EIS shares for three years. You also get tax-free growth, so no capital gains tax to pay on those shares, again, if you hold them for three years. And you can defer tax on capital gains elsewhere, like property, for example, by investing those into EIS with some restrictions. Finally, you can also offset losses against income tax, meaning your original exposure is reduced. So EIS has become more popular with investors in recent years as the tax relief on pensions has been cut back. Mm. So a great number of wealthy people have really seen the amount that they can save into a pension annually and over their lifetime cut back quite severely. But obviously, EIS, it's very high risk, which explains the generous relief on offer. EIS shares are not liquid. You can't easily sell them on. It's very unlikely you're going to see any returns at all for several years at least. And then you can't sell them for at least three years uh, without losing all of that tax relief. So very long term investments for people who don't need the money for quite a long time and have potentially quite a lot of money to put into these things too. Indeed. So there are a lot of restrictions also on the type of enterprises that 
qualify and that's changed over the years and it partly explains the far out nature of some of the investments that you've looked at in your article. Well, yeah, companies qualifying for EIS, they're, they're small, they're usually privately owned, um, although they can be listed on the AIM market. Uh, they'll typically have assets of less than 15 million and not as many employees as, as larger companies, although there are some now more relaxed rules for so-called knowledge-intensive firms, which which are kind of uh, basically companies with higher kind of costs and more skilled staff. Biotech might be a good example. But yes, so that explains why things I've looked at in this article include an algae farm, uh, a children's TV company, and space technology used on things like satellite dishes. Uh, so it's quite all kind of weird and wonderful stuff. Well, absolutely fascinating to read about. But what about um, kicking the tyres of these investments? I mean, will we all be eating slime in the future from this algae farm we visited? <laughs> yeah, well, there it turns out are some, some major plus points to algae, uh, which I do talk about in this feature. It's actually in an amazing number of things from uh, things like meat-free burgers that you might buy in shops to those diet supplements you buy in... Spirulina place pills. Like, exactly, yeah. Holland and Barrett, uh, to expensive face creams. Turns out that L'Oreal is the number one one pattern holder of algae in the world. Um, so, in fact, algae, from the kind of eating perspective, the human eating perspective, uh, contains three times as much protein as beef, and you can actually produce it in fairly large quantities in, in an algae farm. But there are a lot of risks in producing algae, particularly for things like algae burgers, which obviously don't sound <laughs> automatically appealing. Um, you know, this the main current use of it is fish feed, where there is already an established market. But as we've just said, the term algae burger, it doesn't kind of sound appetising to us now. Things like the alternative protein market, that's a, still a fairly small market and it's quite trend-led, you know, this desire for people to eat less meat, kind of flexitarianism. As flexitarian, that's a new one on me, yeah. word of the week, I um, Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a kind of small market and this algae farm has yet to produce algae on the commercial scale that you would need to make it work. So there's the issue there of, like proving that commercial scale and also proving the demand that would that would kind of push forward uh, that trend. So and in the feature, you give us the, the full rundown on this particular EIS investment, how investors should kick the tyres. And as a general rule of thumb, fund managers will give returns, but they should be taken with a, with a pinch of salt. You should also look out for their fees, which can be quite hefty because this is a very specialist type of investment, how they'll impact on your returns and also the minimum investment size, because that can often be quite chunky. Mm. So finally, investing in space technology. I mean, of all of the things that you wrote about in, in your feature, I think that is what has kind of provoked the, the most comment from people who read the article. I mean, it sounds very futuristic, but it's quite a crowded area. Yeah, I mean, space is clearly a pretty sexy investment uh, concept at the moment. But any EIS investors are going up against some of the world's most powerful, richest investors, including you know Amazon's Jeff Bezos and Tesla's Elon Musk. Uh, Musk has rocket company SpaceX, which famously launched Tesla into space in February while playing uh, David Bowie's Space Oddity. And then you've got <laughs> Jeff Bezos, who uh, told a conference recently that he was selling a billion in Amazon stock every year to invest in his aerospace company Blue Origin. So there is a sense here that you are putting some of your own money into a small EIS fund or company. You know, there's a risk that you will never match uh, the might of Bezos or Musk. <laughs> yeah, and certainly a very, very crowded area, but one that's absolutely fascinating to read about. Thank you very much there to Kate Beely, reporter with FT Money. You can read her full article, How to Invest in the Next Big Thing, online now at ft.com slash money.
The plight of severely indebted consumers has been at the top of the news agenda this week. The payday lender Wonga is, at the time of recording this podcast, assessing all options, including potentially calling in administrators. It blames the costs arising from a spike in the number of compensation claims from customers who claim they were granted loans they could not afford. Well, the Wonga news comes just days after the FT reported that two of the UK's biggest providers of free debt advice were warning their funding model was under strain due to more consumers falling into problem debt. Joining me now in the studio to discuss is John Fairhurst, the Executive Director of PayPlan. Welcome, John. Thank you. So the debt advice sector has got two problems, the first big one being the rising number of people who need your help. Yes, problem debt does tend to be quite cyclical. Post the banking crisis, uh, we saw quite a sharp reduction in consumer borrowing. Banks weren't too keen on lending borrowers weren't too keen on borrowing. But since the low point in 2013, we've seen about a one-third rise in the amounts of credit outstanding. And current estimates put the number of people who are struggling with those debts at 8 million, although that's... It's a shocking number, it is. 8 million people. Although that said, only 1.1 million uh, sought advice last year. So the proportion of people in debt who seek advice is relatively modest at the moment. And you think that those numbers are going to increase. The government also thinks that they're going to increase, but you disagree on the rate. Yes, the shape of the market is changing. The people our clients owe money to are increasingly not the people they borrowed that money from. Um, less than half of the money that our clients owe is owed to the creditors who actually lent them the money. There's been quite a growth in the debt sale market. And as that market grows, uh, the participation in the funding model which we run, which is a voluntary funding model, has been declining So those kind of companies who are buying bad debts are private firms of debt collectors who are paying quite a small price. Um, You said maybe as little as five pennies in the pound to acquire that distressed debt. And then they will chase after the payment maybe more aggressively than the originator of the debt. Maybe that was a high street bank or a credit card company. But the new people who've bought it will pursue it with more vigour. Yeah, these these people are, are, of course, bound by the FCA regulations, which which cover debt collection. But they, their, their objective is to collect in debt. They still receive the benefit of our advice. We still, we still help our clients repay money to them in the same way as we would to someone who supports us. They're just increasingly choosing not to pay us for that advice, which, of course, limits our ability to grow our capacity and to engage with as many consumers as we, we feel we need to. With that in mind, you fear there are a number of events in the coming months that could really push up demand for your services. So talk us through some of those. Yeah. A lot of the growth in debt advice historically has been a behavioural one. When consumers become more worried about their debts, they're more likely to seek help for, for that for mm. those debt problems. Um, remember, out of 8 million, currently only 1.1 million are seeking help. We've got a few events on the horizon. So next month in September, um, new rules that the FCA have issued for credit card firms will require those firms to pay special attention to people who persistently make minimum repayments on credit cards. And so those people are generally going to be asked to pay more towards their credit card debts each month. And for people on a tight budget that's fully committed, that we believe will cause some problems. Next year, the government's introducing a breathing space scheme to make access to debt advice easier and to give consumers more certainty about the behaviour of creditors. But that, again, we believe will produce a spike in demand. And of course, on top of that, any economic downturn, mm. Brexit springs to mind, yes. may well provoke another jump in demand. 
and all the time the the funding is uh, is, is is a big problem for you as we as we wrote in the piece so we'll keep following that story as um, developments happen uh, the trade body that represents some of the debt collectors we mentioned is uh, committed it says to making them all contribute to your fair deal um, funding model so how yes. confident are you that they'll, <laughs> well, they'll fall into line we are hopeful we've got a good level of engagement with the credit industry at the moment the money advice service are coordinating some efforts to fix these funding problems and we're hopeful that treasury will get involved as well so our hope is that by christmas we will have made some meaningful progress on this and finally i'm keen to ask you for your views on wonga and what its potential exit from the short-term high-cost credit market could mean for the millions of consumers who've come to rely on payday lenders. Well, of course, people who owe money to Wonga will still owe money, whatever happens to Wonga. Mm. I think looking forward, we generally discourage people from using payday lenders if they can avoid it. It's a very expensive way to borrow money. Traditionally, a payday loan is a few hundred pounds for a few weeks. The approach we encourage people to take is to try and build in a bit of headroom into their domestic budgets. It can be very difficult managing on a tight budget, particularly when you have debts as well. But creating a bit of headroom to improve that resilience can really reduce the need to to use those lenders. If people are struggling to do that, uh, the best advice, I think, is to get debt advice. A debt advisor will help people work out an affordable budget and, where necessary, help to renegotiate payments with their existing lenders and potentially identify ways to improve their income and reduce their outgoings. Things like utility switching, checking tax codes, those sorts of things um, are often quite helpful in giving people the ability to manage more reliably on a week-by-week basis during the month. Well, thanks very much there to John Fairhurst, Executive Director of PayPlan, the UK provider of free debt advice. You can read more on this story in FT Money in the FT Weekend newspaper this week from Saturday or check out our website now, ft.com slash money. Finally, from the age of 16, young people can legally buy a lottery ticket, get married or gasp, have sex. But now that the first child trust funds are coming of age, a growing crop of 16-year-olds in Britain could also take control of their investment choices for the first time. Something that may come as a surprise and perhaps a worry to parents who set up the accounts. Joining me now with the story is Lucy Warwick-Ching, FT Money's digital editor. Welcome, Lucy. Hello. So great response to your column. I mean, there are millions of these child trust funds accounts sitting around. So, I mean, to start with, how will you know if you or your child has one? So if you're a parent of a child that was born between September 2002 and January 2011, then they will have had one set up or you will have set up one for them. So there's kind of, I think there's six million accounts that have been set up within this times. And uh, the government gave all parents with children that were of this age, at least £250. And then lower income families were given £500 in in the kind of form of a voucher. So you could choose whether to set up a, a few different accounts. But the default option was a stakeholder account. So it was invested in, um, say, a low cost tracker, or you could invest it in specific stocks or or bonds. So many people won't have really paid much attention to this child trust fund account, of course, superseded since then by the by the junior ISA. So it is a bit of a legacy concern. But under the rules, the child in question won't be allowed to take any money out until they reach the age of 18. But from the age of 16, they can make the investment decisions. Now, this is something that you argue parents should view as an opportunity, not a threat. So the original aim of the child trust funds was to give every child a financial head start. So 
The thinking was that getting children interested in investing and understanding their money would actually help young people. And this is still the aim that should be in the forefront of parents' minds when they're thinking about these child trust funds. Everyone's always talking about, and we've talked about it on the show, the importance of getting young people to think about money and understand money and take charge of their own personal finances. We've heard about debt problems Mm. on this show alone. And so it's really important for young people to be, you know, as as early as possible, we're thinking about their money. And that's what they can do from 16. They can't take out the money, which uh, some parents will be happy about. So they can only take the money out at age 18. But if from 16, they're thinking about where this money is going, how it's being invested, they're seeing the returns that they're getting are going up, hopefully, then actually when they hit 18, then they might be tempted to carry on investing that money and, exactly. and not fritter that money not away. Not blow it all on fast a, cars a holiday or something like that. But then it's also the conversations that it could spark, you know, other lessons that could be learned. For example, my stepson, he doesn't have one of these accounts, he's too old, but he has said to me before, you know, should I invest in Bitcoin? Um, and you can imagine what my answer um, to, to that has been. But there are other lessons that could come out of these conversations too. Exactly. There are um, very important lessons such as uh, high charges. So the child trust funds have come under a lot of stick in the last few years because as many parents have not really taken an interest in them, the the amounts of money in these child trust funds were very low. So, you know, they they are quite high charges on some of these funds. And and as the the money uh, inside these child trust funds it's not a huge amount of money, then then it's actually very noticeable that these high charges are eating away at mm. these investment returns. So that teaches children that, you know, you should be focusing on how much these organisations are taking in fees and maybe children will be interested in switching around and getting the, the cheapest fees on their on their funds. Absolutely. A great project for the end of the school holidays. But finally, what's your advice for those listening who think, damn it, I know I had one of those accounts, but I don't know what's happened to it. One in six of these accounts are lost. And so they're marked by HMRC as a dressy gone away because perhaps... Um, they were set up and invested by the government into one of these default accounts and they, the HMRC can't trace the owners of the Families moved away, exactly. moved several times. Exactly. I mean, yeah. although I'm a bit dubious about this argument because perhaps some of these families have been, you know, they are, they might be receiving benefits or, you know, they, I, I feel like more should be done and more yeah. is being done to trace these families because these often are disadvantaged children. So that money could... Um, give them a, a much better start in life. But also, if, if you've if you've lost the paperwork, then actually it is easier than you think to track down one of these accounts. Um, you, what do we do? <laughs> no. So first of all, you need to set up a government gateway account if you don't have one already. If you, anyone who does a tax return exactly. will have one, I can attest. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then you just put in your details about yourself and your child and the government says it will find it for you. So um, if you've got all the details to hand, it's probably about an hour's worth of your time. But actually, it could really be worthwhile doing it. Well, thanks very much there to Lucy Warwick-Ching. You can read her family money column, all about child trust funds, online now 
ft.com slash money. If you want to contact the FT Money team, you can email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter at FT Money. And finally, a bit of breaking news. If you like hearing me waffle on about business and finance, then you're in luck. From September, I'm going to be doing it every day with the broadcaster Eddie Mayer on his new drive time show on LBC. Tune in weekdays around 5.30pm to hear us talk about the big story of the day. And before you ask, of course, I will still be recording the FT podcast and editing the money section every week. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.